When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, Holly. Hey, Dave. What's up with your bad self? I am cranked up today. Are you ready to hop in a bitchin' Camaro and drive away on this first day of summer? I absolutely am. What about you? How's your bad self feeling today? <laughs> I am ready to jump into a bitchin' Camaro. And the reason is why. We have Dean Sabatino from the Dead Milkmen. Dean Clean? Dean Clean. Why are we talking to Dean today? We're talking to Dean because the Dead Milkmen have a new album, Quaker City Quiet Pills, and Dean Clean will tell us where that name comes from. Love it. Yeah, so we're going to get all up in Dean Clean's <laughs> business. Uh, maybe we might see a cameo from Reggie. Reginald, from Sir Reginald. Right. We know him as Reggie now because we're on a nickname basis. Well, we're in a first name basis with all the Dead Milkmen. We're going to learn all about their history and what they're up to now. And it's a good episode. I'm looking forward to hearing what's up with Dean. Before we get into it, what is there about the What Difference Does It Make podcast that makes our social media so special? Hmm. Well, check out our social media on our YouTube channel at What Difference Does It Make podcast. You'll get to see Reggie the Cat and on other social media at WDDIM podcast. Shall we get into it? Great idea, Holly. Let's do that. Okay, so this is Dean Sabatino, the drummer for the Dead Milkmen on the What Difference Does It Make podcast. Hi. Hey, Hi. it's Dean. Well, welcome. The reason we're talking to you is you've got an album, The Dead Milkmen. Yes. Now it's Quaker City Quiet Pills. How do you come up with this album title? Well, we argued about it. <laughs> <laughs> We uh, recorded the record, and uh, for the longest time, Rodney wanted to call it, or maybe you could call it the working title, was Hunk's Not Dead, But Rush Limbaugh Is. Um, <laughs> that, you know, but that was the working title. After it was all done and recorded, we had an email thread going for a while, and we couldn't come to an agreement. Uh, we were just throwing ideas out. And I threw out the idea of the word Philadelphia, getting Philadelphia in there some, somewhere. And then Rodney shot back with Quaker City. And then he came up with Quaker City Quiet Pills. About 10 years ago, I think there was a, a controversy on Reddit called Lake City Quiet Pills. Are either of you familiar with that? No. Not me, no. Yeah, it's very obscure. It's like a conspiracy theory thing. I won't go into the details, but it's kind of a tongue-in-cheek reference to that uh, conspiracy. But uh, we went with Quaker City Quiet Pills. Okay, because we were looking back at all your album titles and marveling at how some of them, some of them we get and others, we, we would love to know where they came from. <laughs> right. <laughs> and so the Dead Milkmen are back together. You've had a couple records now. Is there a bat signal in Philly or what happens when all the Milkmen get together? How does that happen? I think in 2008, we had played a, a reunion, two reunion shows in 2004 when our original bass player Dave passed away here in Philly. And then we just kind of put our stuff away and, and didn't think we would do anything. Uh, and then we got a call from a guy named Graham down in Texas in Austin. Austin is kind of our home away from home. We recorded three records down there and he put on a big festival and he said, one of the things I like to do is get bands who have broken up or not performing anymore back together 
That's kind of a special thing for the festival. And he badgered us basically for about a year. And, you know, he threw a little money at us. And we're like, well, we like Austin. We have lots of friends down there. Why don't we just go down and see how it goes? And after the show, we had so much fun. Um, we said, well, you know, maybe we can do this on our own terms again. Uh, we didn't want to go out and just play the, all the old songs. We did make a pact and say, well, we have to write new songs. We have to do new things. And that's what we've done since then. Uh, we have... Our, this is our third album since then. We've got a EP. We released a bunch of singles. I'd say we play about maybe 12 or 15 shows a year. It's, you know, we do it on our own terms and it's fun again. After touring for 10 years in a van, it was not too much fun. <laughs> is that what it is? I mean, is it you'd all kind of together decide that we're going to call it a day for now? Well, I'm I'm actually the one. It was the early night. Well, it was like 94. I was like, you know what? I've had enough of this for a while. So I think uh, the other guys considered maybe getting another drummer, but they decided that no, it was probably time to just stop. I mean, we didn't like angrily break up or anything it was just like we all still lived in the philly area and you know we went to each other's shows we we've done music with other people since then and it was just like well, it was time to, to take a break and that's what we did can i ask you about one of your this one of your side projects i think like midnight yes i'm in a band with my friend andrew we've been playing music together for gosh, almost 35 years. I think Like Midnight is an instrumental band. We do instrumental guitar-based music. There's a keyboard player. It's totally different than The Milkman. It has nothing to do with punk rock or anything. It's more jangly and poppy and sometimes proggy. I don't know if you could call it prog rock, but uh, it's totally different and I love it. together, you know, doing bedroom recordings and releasing tracks digitally and so forth for a long time. Yeah, we got together, I don't know, it must have been six or seven years ago with this project. I can't remember now. With the sole idea of just it being a recording project. And after it was done, we were like, well, it might be fun to play a couple of shows. <laughs> And we actually enlisted the guy who recorded us to play keyboards for us. And we did a couple of shows, but um, because he lived in Ithaca, New York, and we're in Philadelphia, um, we had to come up with some other plans. So we've got a new keyboard player, and uh, Josh has been our longtime bassist. It's a lot of fun. In fact, we're playing this coming Sunday. <laughs> so wait, are you offended at the term prog rock? No, actually, 
before I got into punk rock, I was into prog rock. In fact, my very first concert in Philadelphia at the Philadelphia Spectrum, I went to see Emerson, Lincoln Palmer. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I've seen Yes in the Round there. I mean, that venue isn't there anymore. It got knocked down. But um, yeah, I was I was really into prog rock. And then uh, a friend of mine from high school, he was a couple years older than I, and he played guitar. We were watching TV one night, and we saw a documentary about the British punk scene it featured the damned and of course mentioned the sex pistols and all that stuff we kind of looked at each other and like we can do that you know and so uh he and i formed a band initially we were called zero and then we became known as narthex but we were way out in the suburbs of philly and we really couldn't find a bass player to join our group we looked high and low and so we went out as a duo we actually played shows um just drums and guitar uh, my friend mike sang but, you know, we played some of the clubs in Philly, and that was fun. So it was kind of like a jump from prog rock to punk rock. <laughs> it's deep, dark secret as well. Yeah. <laughs> you could, you could and he loves progressive rock. Yeah, they, all drummers do. You have to embrace it initially and then, you know, right. move on from there or whatever. What is so magical about Philly? I mean, you guys have stayed there. You guys write about it. Why do you love it so much? Philadelphia is a great, it's a working class town. It's a, uh, it's a town of neighborhoods. We have some amazing foods, not just the cheesesteak and the soft pretzel, but I mean, we've got some world-class restaurants. We've got world-class art museums here and all kinds of different cultures. And, you know, like I said, neighborhoods. And, you know, I mean, I grew up in, up in the, out in the northern suburbs, but uh, all of us grew up in and around Philadelphia. And uh, we just decided, you know, it's always been our home base. It's kind of like the, in a way, at least back in the day on the rock and roll circuit or the punk rock circuit, it was almost a forgotten town because people would play New York and they did drive down to D.C. or something and skip Philadelphia. <laughs> oh. So we were always trying to like, come on, come to Philly, play Philly. Okay, so how do you take your cheesesteak? Is it with cheese whiz? Um, yeah, with whiz and fried onions. Yeah. Always, <laughs> always whiz. Okay, good to know. I tried one a few <laughs> years ago for the first time here from a food truck, and I was about to order without onions, but I was scolded. <laughs> so describe the Philly scene in the 80s. What was that like? Well, I mean, when we started to play shows, the Milkman did. I joined the Milkman in 1983, and uh, we started playing shows. It was an interesting scene because there were lots of all-ages hardcore shows with hardcore bands coming through town, basically booking their shows through the back pages of rock, Maximum Rock and Roll. And we uh, were friends with the guy who booked shows, Chuck Meehan uh, book shows here. And his shows were great because he wasn't afraid to mix, mix it up a little bit. Like uh, we weren't really a hardcore band and, and we never were, um, but we were on these bills with hardcore bands and that's how we got our start. I think it was great that Philadelphia kind of welcomed all kinds of different styles. You know, there were straight up hardcore bands and there were poppier bands and guitar based bands. You know, I was in a band called Baby Flamehead while I was in the Milkman at the same time. We were, I believe, one of the first kind of acoustic rock bands or, you know, in, you know college rock bands in Philadelphia or anywhere. Um, that band did one album.
So it was very varied, very friendly. Play shows where, you know, you could get a, a dollar off your ticket price, of, which was probably only three or four bucks if you brought a can of food for the homeless and that kind of thing. And then, you know, we played those shows for a few years and then we scraped enough money together to get an album together and put it out in 85, 1985, you know, and then we too booked our shows all over the country using the back pages of Maximum Rock and Roll. You guys always clearly had a sense of humor about the music. Everything was a little tongue in cheek. Did that fit in with the the Philly scene? I don't think there was anybody else out there like us, um, yeah. but, you know, we definitely had a good response. We made like a demo tape in my parents' basement where we rehearsed at the time, and we gave it to the University of Pennsylvania radio station who had very freeform programming, and, you know, all the DJs were college students back then. Was that WXPN? Yeah, WXPN. And they played, I guess they played Bitch and Camaro one night, and it just took off. They would play it quite often on the punk rock shows. The important thing here is that we get to the part where you ask me how I'm going to get down to the shore. Oh, how you getting down to the shore? Funny you should ask. I've got a car now. Oh, wow. How'd you get a car? Oh, my folks drove it up here from the Bahamas. You're kidding. It must be the Bahamas or islands. Okay, the important thing here is that uh, you ask me what kind of car it is. Uh, uh, what kind of car do you got? I've got a bitchin' Camaro. Bitchin' Camaro, bitchin' Camaro, I ran over my neighbor. Bitchin' Camaro, bitchin' Camaro, now I'm in all the papers. My folks bought me a bitchin' Camaro with no instructions to match. So if I happen to run you down, please don't leave a scratch. I ran over some old lady one night at the county fair. And I didn't get arrested because my dad's a mayor. Bitchin' Camaro, bitchin' Camaro, and we were kind of freaked out the first time we played a show after that because all the crowd knew all the words to the song already so it was like wow this is pretty weird <laughs> so i think people liked it they, they enjoyed a laugh we had we had our own unique sound and i think it went over pretty well enjoying our talk with dean clean the drummer for the dead milkman and let's take a break right now and, and uh, have a billy cheesesteak Pantheon Podcast listeners, Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house, and my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. With Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode, available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind, and these Raycons are fantastic. 
Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. On the What Difference Does It Make podcast with our guest, Dean Sabatino of the Dead Milkmen. How did everyone get their nicknames? Let's just start with you. And uh, You know, when I joined the band, the, um, Joe and Dave Blood, Joe Jack Talcum and Dave Blood, had already been working on songs together, writing songs. Um, Joe was singing. And when I joined, I that band I was in with my friend Mike Narthex had broken up. And I was looking around just to play music with somebody. And I met them at a Christmas party in December of 1982. I said, oh, well, you know, we need a drummer. I said, oh, well, you know, I'll, I'll come down and jam with you sometime. And the thing about it was, is that I walked into the room and, and we started playing and, and they had all these songs already written and ready to go. I mean, they they were pretty well rehearsed. And so all it took for me was just to learn the songs. And I think we had our first show in a couple of weeks. Joe had invented the band sort of before it became a real band when he was in high school for a creative writing project. He came up with a sort of a fake band fan club newsletter. He was a member of the Wings fan club when he was a, a teen. <laughs> Nice. And so he came up with this rock star named Joe Jack Talcum, and he would write weird stories about this for his creative writing class. And then um, he and his neighbor would, you know, write some goofy songs and they'd record them on a, a cassette player at the house. And the way Rodney got involved was uh, Rodney's a year younger than Joe and I, and he was at school. He and Joe went to high school together and he heard about these tapes and he thought they were great. And so he he kind of cornered Joe and said, you know, next time you do one of these tapes, I got to get involved. And so Joe said, sure, why not? So I've been rehearsing with Joe and Dave and we got this show at the Harleysville Youth Center. In fact, the anniversary is coming up in towards the end of July. I get to the show and Joe and Dave walk in with this guy, Rodney, and say, and they say, this is Rodney. He's the guy who wrote a lot of the lyrics to the songs and he's going to sing tonight. So I had never met Rodney <laughs> Or heard him sing or sing, and uh, we played the show that night. That's how it all started right there. I mean, he was great. Rodney was, like, perfect from the from the get-go. Yeah, his voice really fits in with the lyrics. Like... <laughs> so, that you know, that, that was amazing. And from then on, then we rehearsed as a four-piece. That's how we got started. Why was he anonymous? Well, let's see. Joe, yeah, I don't know. He, they had their names, and it was like, when I joined, they said, you have to pick a name. And I don't know. I just thought, you know, Dean Clean rhymed, and it sounded cool. So I said, okay, let's go with Dean Clean. Easy to say, easy to write. And I can imagine, like, when you were played on XPN, like, they were playing this this hard, it was a punk rock show, like a radio show. Yeah, there are different college DJs would do their own shows, and it was a punk yeah. rock-oriented show. Yeah. They would play, so, I mean, back then in the 80s, it was the heyday of college rock cmj magazine and all that stuff and uh you know they they was free form they could play whatever they wanted so yeah and that's probably why it stuck out i remember hearing punk rock girl and and you name checking mojo nixon 
And then I'm like, this is a band for me. Like suddenly, you know, like this is my, <laughs> yeah. this is my college rock band. They're, they're naming bands that I, and artists that I know. Punk Rock Girl, I guess you had Bitch and Camaro, but then Punk Rock Girl, I kind of actually elevated you guys. We went to a shopping mall and laughed at all the shoppers and security guards trailed us to a record shop. We asked for Mojo Nixon. They said, we don't work here. We said, if you don't got Mojo Nixon, then your store could use some fixing. We got into a car away. We started rolling. I said, how much you pay for this? Said, nothing, man. It's stolen. Pump rock girl. You look so wild. Let's have a child. We'll name her Mini Pearl. Just you and me. Eat but banana swirl. Just you and me. We'll travel around the world. Just you and me. Pump rock girl. Yeah, it was a step up in terms of airplay. Yeah, Joe and Dave actually had written that song. They had a little side project called Ornamental Wigwam, which is just the two of them. And I think they had played that song a couple of times. And Joe and Dave brought it to a band practice one day and said, you know, well, we think this would be a good Den Mokwen song. And so we started playing it and it was very popular and it just took off from there. By that time, we were on Enigma Records. You know, I don't know if it was Enigma or Restless at the time. In fact, Mojo Nixon was a uh, label mate of ours. That's the connection. And we actually on tour once we had Thanksgiving dinner with him. So, you know, that's how we get, he got name checked. I think we recorded that album in Texas and uh, everybody, I guess from the record company and our manager said, this is the song and they were right. We did a video for it and it got a lot of airplay on uh, MTV at the time, which is kind of strange because they were playing a lot of hair metal bands at the time. And we we would slip the dead milkman in once in a while. So, uh, you know, that was good for us. We had some good years uh, in the late eighties touring and stuff. And I mean, we still play that song live and it's still our, probably our most popular song. Right. Yeah, right now with iPhones, we're shooting our own videos now because it doesn't cost anything. Just uh, I saw, what was it? New York Guide to Art. And- New York Guide to Art and Philadelphia Femdom. And there's a couple more in the works. But uh, yeah, I mean, we're just doing it ourselves because, you know, there's no advertising budget. <laughs> right. Well, you can. Lots of bands are doing it now. iPhones make it easy. And so who's writing the storyboard or is it just like go forth and uh, record something <laughs> and we'll we'll slap it together and see if it makes sense? It's pretty much that. <laughs> uh, after the uh, the record was born, hope you don't mind my cat here. This is not a video interview. Right? Yeah. It's going to be audio only. Or no, the, we'll we'll put the cat in the cat. Give it <laughs> and name. He, he always comes in when I do video stuff with the milkman on our weekly show. But anyway, I after the record was recorded, we thought you know well we got to do video uh, or it would be nice to do video. And then we just came up with the idea of, you know, all picking different songs and see what we could come up with. You know, it's it's been fun. There's a couple more in the works and uh, who knows, maybe we'll end up doing all of them in the end. I don't know. <laughs> Your first single, Whose Grandpa is the Racist? <laughs> is what... It's a general blanket statement. Okay. Uh, all right. You know, now, somebody specifically, but. I think that's why it works because everyone. Yeah, I think one. so too. They're coming for his Jesus. They're coming for his gun. They're coming for his Jesus. They're coming for his gun. They're coming for his Jesus. They're coming for his gun. Grandpa's not a racist. He just voted for one. Last night we found Grandpa wandering in the streets, whistling Dixie and wearing a white sheet. Let everybody know he won't be replaced by the Jews. And we say, oh, Grandpa, who could ever replace you? But, you know, probably everybody knows one out there somewhere. But, uh... (laughs) 
Yeah. It's relatable. We got some interesting comments. I don't know if they were a joke or not, but they seem pretty serious. Like people like, you guys are gone liberal. I can't believe. I was like, haven't you been listening to us for 40 years? I don't know what you're thinking about the dead milkmen. That's how you know you're succeeding when you, you're not, you know, when you get those comments. Like, all right, right, right. We're stri- striking a nerve. What's, what's oh. the cat's name so we can give him credit? Uh, this is Reggie, Reginald. I was going to say it was, the songs are a lot of fun and uh, good times and stuff. And then I was thrilled with a Dr. Demento compilation. And you guys did Lydia, the tattooed lady. Oh, Lydia. Yes, Lydia. Have you met Lydia? Lydia, the tattooed lady. She has eyes that men adore so. And a torso even more so. Lydia. Yes, Lydia. The inside look Lydia. Because I can imagine Dr. Demento just loving your band. Were you played on his show earlier? Oh, yeah, we've been played on his show. Um, in fact, I think maybe years ago, we might have been driving late at night somewhere listening to the radio, and we heard ourselves on his show once or twice. Uh, but yeah, no, that was a fun project. We did that recording here in Philly, and he did an in-store appearance in Philadelphia, and Rodney and I got to go and hang out with him, which was a lot of fun. Wearing the tux? Yeah, uh, yes, he was. He was. Of course, he was. Always is. <laughs> Love it. How did you guys choose Lydia? What Rodney you? chose it. I mean, you know, it's a Marx Brothers track, and uh, he played it for us. And I, uh, you know, I, th- I think we all thought it was it was a good choice for us, and we worked up our arrangement. As far as I know, he loved he loved the compilation of all the bands playing the, the songs. It was brilliant. Yeah, I loved it. It's, it's all brilliant. Did you guys bond over movies? I imagine you guys just when you are in the van or whatever, like there's some movies that you guys love or, or enjoy. Yeah, together. I mean, Rodney is a huge like horror movie fan. I'll tell you almost anything about any horror movie. But um, I remember we went on tour early on. We were on tour and we had a night off and we went to a drive in in L.A. somewhere and we saw like a double feature of, you know, Weird Science and Dune. <laughs> <laughs> in our our tour van and we had like a case of beer and it was a lot of fun it was a big party so it was fun interesting double feature yeah <laughs> the best yeah i miss drive-ins that was, it wasn't a disney movie that you guys bonded over because can you what what was it i mean you guys were on a disney label what happened there what's going on <laughs> so i mean that's that's a record company shenanigans i mean i think the the cat the restless records catalog or the enigma catalog was sold to disney around 1991 maybe or early 90s i don't think they re-released our old uh, old albums or anything but well we did two records and an ep with them what happened was i think disney uh, spent all their money trying to get david cassidy to become a big star again I think they spent millions and millions of dollars. He recorded an album roughly at the same time, and they were trying to promote him, uh, you know, coming uh, a big comeback. As far as we were concerned, uh, everybody else suffered. I do remember, though, we did get uh, some kind of a royalty check with a picture of the mouse on it, which was pretty interesting. (laughs) It was uh, unfortunate because, uh, you know, there wasn't a lot of distribution or those albums kind of withered, and you couldn't get them or you couldn't even stream them for a long time. We were lobbying them to, you know, at least, you know, put them out there 
on the streaming services so people can hear them. But uh, it took a while, but they finally did show up. But we don't have the rights to those records, so we can't do anything with them right now. So they're kind of just out there. Will you have the rights eventually? After- Maybe. I have to I have to look into that. We we have gotten the rights back to the early records. In fact, we get the rights back to Beelzebubba, which has Punk Rock Girl on it, this November. So we've been re-releasing those online and doing some sort of limited run vinyl stuff. So yeah, the plan is to try and get that stuff out there again on our own label, or we've been working with a local Philly label called The Giving Groove, who's released our latest stuff, and uh, we might do something with them. They did the re-release of Metaphysical Graffiti last year for Record Store, or I guess it was... uh, Yeah, Record Store Day. Day. It was Black Friday Record Store Day, which is a special event, yeah. Oh, that's great, yeah. we We did that last fall. So you mentioned this, they're a charitable entity. Yeah, they're a charitable label. Um, uh, 50% of the profits uh, from the label go to a local charity. The band's all on the label, pick a charity. Um, We're with a local charity called Rock to the Future that does music education programs for this Philadelphia youth, both in the school district as well as in uh, youth centers and private facilities. We're pretty happy to be aligned with them right now. It's been a good partnership. That's really cool. You want to believe they could be a model for others. Yeah, yeah. I look on Wikipedia, which of course never lies to me. And, the Bible. and it mentions this uh, this baseball player, Jim Whalewander. Oh, Jimmy Whalewander, yeah. Tell me tell me about Jimmy. What's going on Jim, with what's Jim Jim. So Jim was I guess it was the later eighties. He was a player on the Detroit Tigers and he was a Dead Milkman fan and uh I don't. I forget how we got connected with him. Somebody uh, from the record label probably connected us, and we played in Hamtramck, which is a sort of a Polish neighborhood outside of Detroit. And he came out to see us at the show, and we hung out with him. He was a great guy. And it was the night before a game, and he should not have been out. <laughs> but anyway, he arranged the next day for us to come to the ball field. Now, we had to head out of town for a show, but um, we were able to stop by the ball field, and we got to go into the dugout and hang out with him and get some pictures. And Sparky Anderson was the coach, and we got to pose with Sparky and you know, got to meet him, and it was a lot of fun. And then we left the ball field, and we couldn't stay for the game, but apparently Jim had a great game that day, even <laughs> from being outside. I, I think he drove home like two or three runs, or he might have even had a home run. I can't remember. But he had a really great game, so that was that was awesome. I have a baseball card with him. Uh, you know, the, the little description on the back mentions that he's a Milkman fan. That's the best. Oh, cool. And you've never, have you played at Veteran Stadium? Have the Dead Milkmen done the national anthem or, or anything? <laughs> no, <laughs> that would be funny. No, yes, it would. No, we haven't done anything like that. I played at uh, Vet Stadium, I guess, when I was in high school, the high school band. <laughs> oh, is that right? For the, the Phillies, it feels like a fit. The national anthem, you could throw out the first ball. I wouldn't say no. <laughs> Were you a hockey fan? Did you go, did you see the Bullies play? I saw, yeah, so I've been to two hockey games. One when I was a, an elementary school kid, it was a Broad Street Bullies days. I think they actually played the LA Kings at the time. And there were plenty of fights in that game. Um, and then I went to see the Flyers a couple of years ago, probably four years ago. Totally different scene. And it was a lot of fun. 
So yeah, I'm more of a Phillies Flyers fan than an Eagles fan. So I'm not too into football. Have the boys from uh, It's Always Sunny reached out to you at all? I feel like I feel like they should. I just saw Chase Utley on an episode. Like, where are the dead milkmen? Come on, we need we need. No, I haven't, they haven't reached out to us. I have friends who work in the uh, film production world, and they've worked on that show. But no, nobody from the show has asked us to be on it. Oh, those bastards. It'd be a Ronnie lives in South Philly. I mean, he should be like an extra in every show or something. Yeah, I mean, that, that milkman should play patties. That's what I want to see that. <laughs> Put the word in for us. Yeah, I will. Okay, so you're going to be making videos. Is it just kind of like a piecemeal type? Uh, there's no ultimate plan. It, it seems like the dead milkmen are just like, okay, we're we going to do what we want. I mean, yeah, we have, uh, well, I'd like to mention, uh, maybe you know about it. We do a weekly uh, video show on YouTube. Uh, we record a show over Zoom kind of like this every, usually Thursday nights and release it Saturday mornings. It's called Big Questions with the Dead Milkman. So what happened was we had actually started to write songs for this new album in kind of late 2019. And we were passing around demos online and we started to book rehearsal time in 2020, early 2020. We got a couple weeks into it. And, you know, one of the things, we used to have a board meeting and we called it the board, <laughs> Dead Milkman board meeting in January. It's like, what do we want to do this year? That kind of thing. And one of the things was, well, let's try and increase our YouTube presence because we hadn't really we had a YouTube channel handle or whatever you want to call it, but we really hadn't done anything with it. So the idea was, I guess Rodney came up with the idea for the show. It's like each week we would each take a turn and ask a quote unquote big question. And we started recording them in our rehearsals and they were usually just like five or 10 or 15 minutes tops. And then the pandemic hit and we couldn't get together anymore. So we like... Well, we can continue to do this because we can all do it from home. And we've been doing it since. I think we're over 200 shows now. We still do that. We And, you know, it was like, while we, the, the the preamble used to say, you know, the Milkmen are recording the new record and we wanted to do the show to keep you informed of what's going on and that kind of stuff. So even now the record's out, we're still doing the show. You can watch it every Saturday morning. So that's something we're continuing. We've got two shows at the beginning of September. We're playing the Muddy Roots Festival in Tennessee. Uh, this is uh, Labor Day weekend. And then we're actually going back to Hamtramck to play um, <laughs> a city uh, outside outdoor festival or something. I don't think Jimmy lives there anymore, but maybe he'll show up. That'll be, that would be fun. So they asked us to come back, which, which is great. Those are the ones that are on the books right now. And other than that, you know, I'm not sure what else is in store for us. It's so yeah, I guess just whatever you feel like. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Flying by the seat of your pants. That's great. Did I say that you did the artwork for the first album? Did you? Yeah, that's the other thing. I mean, I did the album artwork for this new album, too. I mean, we've always had pretty good creative control about the artwork for our records. Yeah, so I did the the cover art for the first record and all the other, you know, art directed the other ones. And, you know, that's been good for us. You may notice that the font for the Dead Milkman on the new record is should be almost exactly the same as the font on the very first Big Lizard album because I, I made a file of that and that I can reuse anytime <laughs> I want. <laughs> so Nice. Did you create the Milkman logo? Is that yours? I did. I created the uh, the cow logo. Um, I drew a rough sketch of it one night, and everybody said that looked good. And so I did a, a you know a very uh, professional looking version, yeah. and it's been that way ever since. Yeah. So is graphic art is that what keeps the lights on in the at the, at the abode there? Is your yes, I have a day job as a graphic artist. 
That makes sense. It's not the milkman royalties that keep pouring in. It's not- <laughs> oh yeah, I'm getting uh, not rich on those. But uh, um, yeah, I mean, the, the other thing you could say about the artwork is, I mean, when when that first record came out in uh, summer of '85, you know, computers were not really used for that kind of stuff, and so after touring around for almost ten years, I had to learn how to use computers. I went, took some classes and stuff and because the graphic design world had all moved to computers. So that was an interesting transition for me. Necessary. Well, that's good. Yeah. I think computers are here to stay. I'm going to. I, I kind of think so. Yeah. <laughs> we carry a very smart one in our pocket now. Yeah, right. Yeah. Uh, favorite songs on the album that what's, what are the ones that you love to drum to? There's always, the drummer always has a different song. That you well, that's the thing. We, we always share the songwriting duties. Um, I'm fond of uh, Astral Dad, which Joe sings and wrote the music for. And it was kind of a dare from Rodney. I forget they were, I think they were on a, uh, they were taking train to rehearsal one night and Joe had read a book about astral projection and Rodney said, you should write a song about that. And so Joe took it to heart and wrote that song. We thought it was great. (laughs) Is he dead or alive? His children can't decide. His eyes are wide open as he sits petrified, sitting in a garden in a posture sublime, traveling through life to the time before time, astral dead. His wife is in the garden, picking spinach and green beans. That's a favorite. I love Rodney's How Do You Even Manage to Exist, <laughs> which is just kind of a rant. I mean, he works in Center City uh, and uh, you go, you know, has lunch and he meets, he has trouble with people who can't seem to pick an item off a menu for their lunch in front of him. This is not rocket science. It's not even bottle rocket science. When you order food, you get in line, you look at the menu, you decide what you want. When the person behind the counter says next, you step up and you give your order. Up the entire line by staring off in the space for 10 minutes and then saying, Oh, it all looks so delightful. How could I possibly ever make up my mind? White or wheat bread should not be a life changing decision. It should not take you an hour to figure that out. And you know what else you don't do? You don't order shit that ain't on the menu. You don't say, Hey, maybe have some rice back there, some ham, some watercress. You can mix that up for me. Restaurants don't work that way. And by the way, in the real world, I get a lunch hour, not lunch hours. So, yeah, I think it's a kind of an interesting Milk Memory album. It's kind of new and modern, but also harkens back to some of our earlier, older records, even all the way back to Big Lizard. I think it's got a good variety of stuff on it. Well, I hope you, you guys make it out to L.A. one day soon. I do hope we can get yeah. out there. It might not be till next spring, but uh, yeah, I'd love to uh, meet you guys in person and hang out. Yeah. Well, wonderful. Take care of Reggie. He's needy. He needs. He seems. He feels. He seems hungry. Yeah, he probably needs to, to eat. He already something. had his dinner, so he just wants attention. That's all. <laughs> Thank you for doing this. It was so nice to meet you. Nice to meet you, folks, too. Thank you, Dean. Take care. All right. Cool. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. 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 
All right, Holly, are you ready to go visit Philadelphia? I would love to go to Philadelphia, and I want to run the steps like you did, the oh. Rocky steps. No one can run the steps like I did. I uh, believe I believe I, I fell and tripped and, you know, kind of <laughs> stumbled. And I, I believe I would run them exactly as you did. Oh, okay, yeah. <laughs> it's a nice city and clearly it's, uh, endeared itself to the dead milkman. I love that that's their town. They love it. Yeah, it's fun to hear their attachment to it, and they still live there. The videos are fun for their new album, Quaker City, Quiet Pills. It's kind of get a sense of what Philly's all about. Uh, I love that there's, it was just a fun project for them back in the day, and they're still doing it and still seem to enjoy their company and, and playing music. Dead Milkmen live on, thankfully, and we live on in social media. Where is that? You'll find us for all eternity at What Difference Does It Make <laughs> Podcast on YouTube and on other social media at WDDIM Podcast. Oh. Find us there. This is our legacy. Terrific. <laughs> Uh, While we're still around, you can subscribe on our website, WDDIMpodcast.com. We have a newsletter. It goes out once a month. It's a lot of fun. You'll enjoy it. Do it, okay? Just, you know, just don't even think twice about it. We send it out once a a month. Can't hurt, right? Why not? You could learn some fun facts. Who doesn't love fun facts? We're fun fact fans. I learned all about Jim Wallwander of the Detroit Tigers. I never would have known about him. I saw that too. That's so funny. That's Sparky Anderson. I love it. Uh, shall we wrap this up like we do? Uh, we got to say goodbye first. Okay. <laughs> and now it's time so, to say goodbye. Enjoy your bitchin' summer. May you be riding in a bitchin' Camaro sometime this summer. Let's hope so in KIT. Forever and ever. Until next Friday when we'll have another new episode. Ooh, awesome. Love to hear that. Okay, well, until then, this is Dave. This is Holly. Check you later. Over and out. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett, Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any Fantasy Points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points.